I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 88 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, rolling your sleeves up. Is this actually leading from the front? We've heard from a lot of listeners since we started No Bullshit Leadership who tell us that they aren't able to lead properly or to act at a more strategic level because their bosses expect them to have a hands-on component to their role. Our long-time listener, Lisa, put it very eloquently to me some months ago in an email. Her experience of some larger organisations these days is that they seem desperate to be more entrepreneurial and to transform. To do this, they're trying to adopt the behaviours of startups and introducing what they call new ways of working. This effectively means that people in senior leadership positions are expected to roll their sleeves up and work alongside their teams buried in the detail. 
The net effect is flattening of organisational structures and cost reduction. But is it really a good thing? Does it really make you more agile and responsive and doesn't make your organisation more competitive? Wouldn't it be nice if we could all be tech unicorns? I'm going to take the challenge on today to talk about the pros and cons of the everyone needs to roll their sleeves up approach. Every organisation is different, but there are sometimes hidden costs and unintended consequences in trying to set a culture based upon what you see other companies doing. We'll start by examining agility in larger organisations. I'll recap briefly on why we have leadership at all. I'll then pose a question, what's beyond micromanagement? And we'll finish with a discussion on leading from the front. So let's get into it. Agility in larger organisations is quite elusive. If your organisation is already relatively large and you're trying to become more innovative and agile, there are some natural barriers to this. And quite often, the things that have made you successful are the things that will make this the most difficult. If we cast our mind back to Clay Christensen's book, The Innovator's Dilemma, which many of you will have read, he talks about why it's difficult in larger organisations for innovation to succeed. Larger organisations, paradoxically, are designed so that they stifle innovation. For a start, they have really good, rational investment decision-making processes. That's a good thing, right? But when you think about an investment committee that's faced with two potential investment options, because capital is always scarce, where are we going to invest the organisation's dollars? And one person turns up with a request for money to fund a product that is already a cash cow, that has an established customer base, and returns great margins for the organisation. The second person turns up with a proposal to invest in a product that is untested in the market, that doesn't have an established customer base, and where the investment is far going to exceed the returns in the first, say, two years. Is it any wonder that a rational investment committee is going to say, we will fund investment one because we can see an immediate return, investment two may be too risky. There's also the focus on customer profitability. Really good organisations understand where their most profitable customers are and they go after those. They leave the less profitable and lower margin customers for their competitors to service. Really good organisations also deliver what the customer wants. Although there is a caution here, Henry Ford said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So how do we innovate beyond people's imaginations when we still need to keep close to the customer and what their current needs are? And then, of course, there's that hoary old chestnut hitting the earnings guidance that you give to the market, because this is where the self-interest of management is aligned with the interest of the owners. And in a large organisation that's behaving rationally, you know which way that's going to end. Sometimes, trying to retrofit innovative behaviours into an existing business is futile. One of the key premises is that you need to innovate outside of the larger, more bureaucratic structures of the organisation. This is why many companies that have a premium product and wish to move down market create a totally separate brand and organisation in order to do that. Before we really tackle the concept of rolling your sleeves up, let's just remind ourselves why we have leadership in the first place. I did a podcast episode very, very early on in the piece. It dates back to October of 2018. What is leadership? And there were six key points that I pulled out there. Now, it's worth you going back and having listened to the episode if you haven't heard it for a while. But I'll just give you the six points in short here. The first thing is, leaders set the tone, the pace, and the standard for their teams. 
Leaders communicate purpose. Leaders show people where they fit. Leaders focus only on the highest value objectives. Leaders develop talent. And finally, leaders challenge, coach and confront their people. Leadership exists to ensure that an organisation's resources are put to the best effect in a competitive environment. And by resources, I mean all of them, physical, financial, technological, intellectual, and most importantly, human. And it doesn't matter what type of organisation you're in, we all compete with something, even if it's just the expectations and ongoing goodwill of key stakeholders whose support we rely upon. A core part of this leadership work is controlling the flow of work and activity towards the most value creative outcomes. And I'm not just talking about financial value. So we're talking about resourcing and workload. Now, some would say that this is management and not leadership. But to tell you the truth, I have real trouble separating the two. I find that it's only people who've never had to lead properly that make this big black and white distinction. You have to manage to get results. And guess what? That takes leadership. And ultimately, you need to understand what creates the greatest value and to stop all the other shit that creeps onto the agenda. And that really takes leadership. And remember, too, that if we look at the wisdom of people like Elliot Jacques and Ram Charam, Steve Drotter, every layer in an organisation must have a unique purpose. If it doesn't, then why do you have it? You need to get rid of it. So defining the purpose of each layer is important, and it's a critical part of organisational design. We see plenty of poor structures in place, but fortunately, any structure works. Some are just more effective than others. Okay, leaders, I think you're all getting fairly accustomed now to the new ways of working. And for many of you, you've realised that we're never returning to exactly the way things were before the pandemic lockdowns commenced. While many of you are in a demand trough or your people's productivity is inherently limited, it's a good time to steal a march on your competitors by improving your leadership bench strength. I'm going to be running a limited number of cohorts of our Leadership Beyond the Theory program, which we designed a couple of years ago specifically with this pandemic in mind. Well, okay, not really, but we did design it specifically to enable maximum impact on global leadership capability. And we do this through our leading-edge delivery channels, which are perfect for leadership teams who are in fragmented locations. If you want to take no-bullshit leadership to the next level and turn your leadership team's downtime into growth time, get in touch with us at emma at yourceomentor.com. Now, where was I? Rolling your sleeves up is different to micromanagement, but not. So when someone asks you to roll your sleeves up, it's an interesting dynamic. What it does is that it naturally flattens the structure of the organisation. Now, there are pros and cons to doing this. If you're pushing the leaders below you, down below their level, there is some upside. So for a start, if you actually take out a whole layer and levelise people, then you're starting with a zero base. It's always easier to take out cost and then work out what you need to build back in than it is to try and cherry pick to get some cost reduction. And there are short-term benefits to this. It also gives you a greater opportunity to decentralise your decision-making because it's happening at lower levels of the organisation naturally. But there's a lot of downside to this. The first thing is, there is less control over who does what. One of the earliest definitions of management was that it's all about planning, leading, organising and controlling. So if you're not doing these things, then who is managing the business? Once you start pulling layers out of your organisation, then a lot of that control just goes by the wayside. The other thing that happens is that you increase the span of control of each individual leader, 
And so, in other words, they have more people reporting to them. Now, when this happens, what do you think disappears first? It's the stuff that is the most discretionary. For example, we don't have time to do capability building or to indulge ourselves in training and development of our people because guess what? We're just too busy. We also haven't got time to do things like communication and direction setting, and we certainly don't have time for performance management. Now, arguably, these are fairly important things for a leader to do. But once you start pushing leaders down to doing the detailed work, this is precisely the stuff that doesn't get done. Getting your hands dirty to do the work of the layers below you is almost never a good idea. Taking a person you're paying a higher salary and asking them to do the job you could get done for less is just not sensible. It's counterintuitive. So it really pays to think about what you're asking leaders to do. Because while they're down doing detailed work, guess what they aren't doing? They aren't doing the work of leadership. And is it really important for them to be across the detail in that type of way? Now, it is true that some of the greatest people of our time have been mired in the extreme detail of their businesses, as well as being able to look at the big picture. But it is an extraordinarily rare person who has the capacity to do this. Now, a lot of examples that people cite are once-in-a-generation outliers. So think about Steve Jobs. He was famous for having control of every detail of design and decision-making for Apple's products. And what an unbelievable outcome he managed to achieve. But how many of these exceptional people have you ever seen in your lives? Like one or two, maybe? Out of the billions of people who've passed through the planet in my lifetime, there wouldn't be more than a handful who've turned this type of control into a large global business advantage. Jerry Seinfeld is another. And look, although I'm not a huge fan of comedians who smile at their own jokes, he is undoubtedly one of the greatest comedic talents of our generation. And he reputedly controlled everything. Seinfeld said in an interview recently that the reason his eponymous show worked so well was that he controlled every little detail. The script, the set, the lighting, the scenes, the production, everything. It would have been really interesting, though, to see what would have happened if he'd relinquished some of that control. Maybe the show wouldn't have worked as well and maybe it wouldn't have been as successful. Or just maybe, his brain would have been freer to harness even more of that comedic brilliance that he held. I guess we'll never know. Is leading from the front a good thing? Well, the short answer is yes, but it comes with one major caveat. I've seen many leaders doing the work of people below them and then excusing this as a virtue by saying, I'm leading from the front. Well, okay, but this concept is completely flawed. In my opinion, it's really dangerous to misinterpret it this way. In its true form, leading from the front has absolutely nothing to do with doing the same work as your people or helping them to do their jobs. It is about demonstrating the values you expect from your team, the behaviours you're trying to establish. You need to do this without any dissonance or hypocrisy. For example, if you said one of your values is being close to the customer, you need to demonstrate that clearly and lead from the front. But you do it in a way that's appropriate for your level. It absolutely doesn't mean that you should be in every customer interaction personally. And you certainly shouldn't be attending or conducting sales calls in the bowels of your organisation. What leading from the front means in this context is that you demonstrate the importance of the customer. And this may include things like investing in understanding the customer better through market intelligence, 
It might be uh, giving the customer opportunities to give you feedback. It might be about identifying your most critical customers and establishing relationships at an appropriately senior level. Leading from the front is about you demonstrating your intensity and passion for the organisation and the values that it upholds. It's about your willingness to take full accountability for the outcomes of your team. It's about being a leader who sets the example of stepping up and taking on personal risk in order to benefit the organisation. None of this has anything to do with doing lower-level work that's inappropriate for your pay grade. Another classic example is the saying, I wouldn't ask my team to do anything I'm not prepared to do myself. Well, a good example came out in a group mentoring session I had with an executive team just last week. We used the example of the CEO of an airline who was famous for his connection with the people on the ground. He was incredibly well-loved, and by all accounts, he was a pretty good CEO. If he was flying on a plane that his company was running, after he'd taken that flight, he would remain on board after all the passengers had disembarked and he'd help to clean the aircraft. So we're thinking, that's pretty cool, right? There's no better way to demonstrate that nothing is beneath you. And his people thought it was pretty cool too. He'll pick up a freshly filled sick bag as readily as the next person. He's a man of the people. He connects with us and he understands us. And this is a great symbol of service. But I just have one problem with that. He's not doing what he's getting paid to do as CEO of an airline. And it's not that. Every minute he spends picking up empty coffee cups is a minute he's not thinking about how to make the airline perform better, how to improve on-time running, how to increase revenue passenger kilometres, how to use negotiating leverage to get reduced pricing on the landing slots in the major airports in which they operate. Don't get me wrong, there's always value in connecting with and learning from the people in your organisation at every level. But there are better ways to do this. You don't have to get into doing other people's jobs for them. Having connected conversations where you focus on them, not trying to do their work, can have the same impact. And as a symbol of service, the nothing is beneath me principle, there are other ways to do this too. At CS Energy, when we used to celebrate milestones, very often we'd have a barbecue for the people. And those who'd cook and prepare the barbecue were generally the leaders. So you'd see the, the leadership and the general management of the site, and if I was there, I'd pick up a pair of tongs as well to flip some burgers. But what that was saying was, it's not beneath us to serve our people just because we happen to be leaders in the organisation. Another great example is um, one thing I used to do for my personal assistant was to bring her coffee in the morning instead of having her bring me coffee. And that had a really big impact in terms of people understanding that nothing is beneath me just because I'm the CEO. We can lead, and you can lead from the front, but never make this an excuse for dropping into the work of the people below you. That's not what you're paid to do. But if you do it, your people will happily let you, let's face it. If you find yourself in the awkward position as a senior leader, where your boss is asking you to get your hands dirty with work you haven't probably done for many, many years, and which clearly isn't appropriate for your level, well, you need to have a chat to them. Explain some of the concepts we've been through in this episode to them, and use it as an opportunity to develop your leadership skills. Always bear in mind that the most important outcomes rely on your ability to influence. You won't win every discussion, but it's an important one to have no matter what. And in a world full of hard leadership conversations, this one could bear a lot of fruit. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 88. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. 
So please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast as it enables us to reach even more leaders. I look forward to next week's episode. Are all projects doomed? Until then, I know you take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. 